on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leinster are very, very hard to keep up with. They're a brilliant running team. Same with Ireland. But if you can slow the game down like La Rochelle did and go set piece to set piece where it's mauls, where it's, you know, scrums, uh, where it's kind of rooks and it's kind of messy in there and you're wrestling with guys who are heavier than you, there's not a huge amount you can do about that. Leinster's wait for a Champions Cup will continue for at least another year after La Rochelle won possibly the most exciting final in the history of the tournament. Ronan O'Gara and his squad made it two in a row on Saturday after completing the biggest comeback in final history at the Aviva Stadium. On this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will be discussing all the fallout from the weekend, as well as a look ahead to Munster's URC final against the Stormers this weekend. Will Slattery here, and I'm delighted to be joined by Keane Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald for our chat. And Keane, what a final that was. We, we've been kind of teeing it up as a, a kind of a game a year in the making. As soon as it was announced for the Aviva Stadium, we were hoping maybe we might get a Leinster-La Rochelle rematch. It certainly didn't disappoint. I suppose unless you're a Leinster fan, then you're probably still pretty good and devastated, but... Everyone knows what happens at this stage. Leinster taking that big 17-0 lead, three cracking tries. It looked like they were coasting towards the fifth stars. They keep referring to it as their, their journey. La Rochelle clawed their way back in, took control in the second half like we've seen them do so in the other meetings and ultimately pipped them by a point. Like, Why do you think Leinster lost that game? Oh, yeah. You've packed a lot into that, that Will. Um, why did Leinster lose the game? Um, in short, they came up an against an absolutely outstanding team. And I think, obviously, we're going to focus heavily on the Leinster side of things. But from a La Rochelle perspective, this is a seriously, seriously good team. I think it will go down, actually, as one of the great uh, Champions Cup teams because you look at the age profile, um, like the coach, the coaches that they have, there's nothing to say that they couldn't go on and win three in a row next year. That's how strong they are. So that obviously played a major role in Leinster losing. But you're right. I mean, as Dream starts to a final go, a home final, it must be said, like it doesn't get much better than that. Um, obviously, if Ross Byrne had knocked over the conversions, um, obviously it does to a certain extent get a little bit better but wow it was just in incredible like I mean when Leinster lost that um, semi-final to La Rochelle a couple of years ago the, the following 12 months were spent and Leinster made kind of no bones about this trying to come up with a game plan that would be good enough to, to beat the La Rochelle team they came up against them in the final last year and they didn't have the game plan good enough to beat them now I know they'd only lost by a point and they lost in the last 
closing stages and it was the same really uh, last weekend but watching the opening kind of 15 minutes I was going wow Leinster really have figured it out because uh, we spoke about it in the build up Will like the fact that Leinster didn't score a try in last year's final was it's just unheard of for a Leinster team with that quality to be kept tryless so, so to score three of them in the early stages was remarkable really and it was just the manner of the tries I mean I'm such a sucker for a set-piece try and that uh, Dan Sheehan's first try with the, the off-the-line-out move was just absolutely stunning. And that takes so many hours of, you know, pouring through footage, trying to pick out uh, weaknesses and then obviously working on on the training ground. So I think Andrew Goodman will probably take a lot of credit for that. It was interesting. Um, I was listening to Donica Ryan say that Rassing used that same move against Munster in 2018 and I think it was used in the 2011 World Cup final as well. So uh, just brilliant to see one of them unleash. And I always expected Leinster to have something like that up their sleeve and they go into the 17-0 lead and then all of a sudden they go into their shells. Um, I thought the Jonathan Daunty try, lot, lots of the focus on the Satuni try because it was just before half time, and there's no doubt that that was absolutely crucial. But Jonathan Daunty's try I thought was massive and I don't think enough has been made of the fact that Larishel scored that when Kerr Barlow was in the bench so they were down a man and to basically run over Leinster only Gary Ringrose will enjoy seeing that one back so to score the two quick tries obviously changed the complexion of the game and when they went in at half time I'd say there was no sense of panic certainly from what we hear from Ron O'Gara and my sense is that Leinster went into their shells a little bit. They stopped playing. They stopped uh, attacking them. Now, so much of that, again, came from the pressure that La Rochelle were putting on them. But their exit strategies were really poor. Their kicking game was really poor. Guys who you don't really expect it from either. I mean, like James Lowe's return was being heralded, rightfully so. And we've seen how you know important his left boot has become for Ireland and Leinster. But it became a hazard for, for Leinster. You know, he put his side under serious pressure. Gibson Park had a couple of wobbly moments. Like again, a guy who's been playing out of his skin. So um, it wasn't the day for, for guys to go into their shells. James Ryan going off injured, I thought had a massive bearing on the, the lack of leadership, I think you'd have to say. And you know, Stuart Lancaster's, you know, worked so hard to try and encourage guys to find their voices. And to me, it just didn't seem like there was enough, enough leadership on the pitch at the end. I know Gary Ringrose took over as captain and you very rarely see Gary Ringrose lose his cool. And he did with Jacob Piper when um, Alalatoa got sent off, which I don't think you could have too many complaints, really. But you could see and hear on the ref mic Ringrose remonstrating with Piper, comparing it to Jonathan Daunty's in terms of it being a high and low degree of danger. So um, the way Leinster lost their heads in the final, the closing stages of the game, not trying to put themselves in a position for the drop goal. Uh, Alalatoa's yellow card, Ronan Ke- a red card, Ronan Keller, yellow card I thought it was all indic- indicative of Leinster just losing their heads Yeah Luke what's your perspective on it like why do you agree with Keane on some of those points like you know from the dominant position in that first half as Keane said like it, it looked to me that like they saw the finish line the prospect of not winning after getting into that position seemed to play on them the, the mistakes the errors I thought it was actually pretty reminiscent of the last quarter or the second half really last year as well that as it got closer to the end the, the more mistakes crept in and they might look back and say, oh, we only lost by a point. We only lost by a late try last year. But I thought in both games, the game really got away from them the longer it went on. And I thought a lot of that came down to nerves, potentially. What do you think? Um, I, I don't actually think it was nerves, Will. I actually thought they punched themselves out in the first um, 25 minutes. Um, I think uh, 
even though Keane, you know, mentioned how how important James Ryan going off was, I and he and he, he kind of spoke strongly about that. I don't think it was strong enough. I I thought if you looked at how impactful um, he was at the start of the game physically, you know, and he's a he's one of those guys that can kind of get through massive workload and continue to to like his tackling was unbelievable um, at the start of the game, and I just think they like not being able to bring on. Not being able to bring off Maloney, um, you know, and bring in, um, you know, more weight into that second row, um, I thought that that had an impact on the physicality that they were able to 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 to, to kind of deliver as well. I thought it kind of was it was a double whammy, um, in, in that respect. Um, I thought they were struggling all game at set piece. Bar the trick play at the start, I mean, they got even for the second the. Uh, the second try, I think, uh, was the it, it came off kind of a messy, messy. Um, I, th- I think actually La Rochelle stole it and then dropped it uh, at the back of the line out, if you remember. And uh, I think Tyke Furlong um, went down on it and got the ball back and, and looked, they went on a phase and then played that beautiful pass over the top um, to Dan Sheehan. Like it was an unbelievable uh, finish and all that, but it was kind of messy. I th- I, so, like, I thought a lot of those things kind of told, and I, and I actually just thought they looked like a bit wild it looked like they built the game up just a little bit too much in their own minds and it kind of makes sense when you hear about uh, I know there was a lot of confusion about the um, Aldred comments about James Ryan um, about kind of staring him out of it or whatever he was doing before the game it sounded like they were really really pumped up for this one for this one and you could see it in the intensity at the start of the game look I've never seen a team start a game it just they were just wild you know and I thought Piper let them away with a lot as well at the start of the game uh, Rooks were extremely messy but I think Leinster got you know, were, were kind of favoured because they were making such big tackles and they were driving Lowershell consistently back but I thought he lost control of the game a little bit at Rook time wasn't surprised to hear Raj trying to go into him at half time to be honest but um look there's a lot of collection of thoughts I, I the key part for me was that I thought they punched themselves out and they couldn't hold on long enough then um when Ryan went off I just thought he he had a massive impact in that game um I'm not sure Furlong looked like he was himself either like they really struggled at scrum and we didn't see much of him around the pitch really uh maybe that calf injury was probably you know was was probably more than we we probably thought we, we don't know about that we never probably will but um there was a lot of those factors, like kind of key guys for Leinster's, right? Didn't really have much of an impact. And look, of course, the key problem for them at the, in the second half was again, like they just couldn't, they couldn't get out of their own half. It wasn't that they weren't let, like they actually had lots of good opportunities to exit, but just wild kicks, you know, and and lots of kicks from that were kind of thrown back inside the twenty-two and brought back for you know out in the full. Um, do you not so think that? Basically- do you not think that comes down to a bit of nerves? So I take your point hundred percent on on them looking. You know, no, I like thought they, they were tired. Well, I thought they were tired didn't think it was that I thought if you looked at so I, I, there was lots of people talking about Leinster like not you know do you remember there was that period where you now in fairness I thought it was a terrible decision by Piper but do you remember there when Jameson Gibson Park they had a few phases um, and usually they can cont- kind of continue playing it was maybe on the uh, maybe the Lower Shell yeah the Lower Shell 10 meter line exactly and Jameson Gibson Park puts it up but if you look at the phases before that like Leinster there was no no attack shape that usual attack shape usually they have loads and loads of options they were kind of running out of those things and people were happy just to see the ball go up in the air. I generally thought that the 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 pummeling they took um, you know, after the first 25 minutes and the pummeling that they dished out 
in the first 25 minutes and the weight in the set piece um i you know the, all the pressure that was going on them there i just thought they looked tired to me and they looked like they had nothing left to give and off the back of that they started making terrible decisions um their execution was 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 poor um, you know, when it came to kind of, uh, you know, the kicking particularly was really, really poor. And I thought they got sloppy at the breakdown and they weren't winning any collisions, weren't coming off the line. They, they weren't even very connected in defense. They just looked loose. And and one other thing I would mention is, and, and you've heard me talking about this for quite a while, Will, I disagree with it. The, there's been a lot of chat about Leinster's defense being an awful lot better this year. I, I haven't seen that. I honestly haven't seen that. I, I think there's a lot of guys who aren't unbelievable defenders, particularly in the wide channels. Um, they all talk about Ringrose kind of getting that free reign to just go and do what he wants and to miss tackles. I've never bought into that. I've never thought that's a good idea. There's, there's, Of course, there's ones where you can race off the line and push someone back in, but you should still be trying to make that tackle. Um, I think he, he there was a lot of guys just kind of wild, wild shots uh, going in and they missed an awful lot of tackles towards the end. And when they actually weren't coming forward and pressing La Rochelle, when La Rochelle got some momentum, Leinster's defensive woes, I thought, they kind of came back to roost. You know, um, guys missing tackles, the spacings were poor. Um, you know, I thought even for the Dante try, actually for the Suteni try, like the folding around the corner and some of the decision making around the rook, they left Furlong. Um, all, like just uh, uh, like he was an island there, and then Henshaw had to step in, and Jimmy O'Brien was still too wide. He was too far away from him as well. He could never really connect, like uh, correct to get in on time. Um, and I think it was Keenan was coming at the back, so they probably could have saved that one. Um, with with some better folding and decision making around the rook. So look, that, that's my overall take on it. I thought the key factor was that was the tiredness. Well, I thought they punched themselves out, kind of going wild at the start of the game. And couldn't really get any momentum back. Yeah, keen on the point on the punching themselves out. Like if you look at the three Larishella games, Leinster led all three at half time. They've been outscored fifty points to twenty two across the three second halves, and Leinster been outscored thirty five ten in the final quarter across the three games. Like that's that's very stark. And like, how is it possible that such a good team, full of you know eighty percent of the Irish team? are flagging so dramatically. Like, they should be... Because La Rochelle look like... They, I know they have bigger men, potentially, and they're very athletic themselves, but surely Leinster should be able to sustain it a little bit better than they have to the extent that they're being blown out in the final quarter of every game they played against them. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you and Luke both lay it out in those terms. I agree with you. I think it's absolutely damning, really, that a team of this quality, um, the fingers are being pointed in terms of their fitness. Like, let's remember that these are players who are the best looked after players in the world in terms of having their minutes managed and things like that. They didn't play in the semi-final with the intention of being in peak condition for this final. And if we go back to last year in Marseille, like a lot of people were pointing to how hot it was and it was properly roasting couldn't say the same thing about Dublin last no, weekend. So that's not pretty a, overcast. Actually. It, yeah, that's not an excuse. Can, can I say something just on that, Keen? And, and I think it's maybe just just on the fitness thing. Like, did you? It's kind of like a boxer. Do you know what a boxer? Like, if you if you look at, um, do you know when they're fighting someone who's like a, a bigger or heavier person than them naturally? Um, and they always talk about like the boxer sitting on the person's chest. You know, so like literally just putting the weight on them, putting the weight on them. I have a feeling like that's a massive factor coming up against this La Rochelle team. Just bigger men. So just put like using that weight. It's very, it's very like as a running team. So like if you look at the game, if the game is kind of going phase to phase to phase, open play, there's not that many scrums, not that many line out malls and things like that. Leinster are very, very hard to keep up with. They're a brilliant running team. Same with Ireland. 
But if you can slow the game down like La Rochelle did and go set piece to set piece where it's malls, where it's, you know, scrums, uh, where it's kind of rooks and it's kind of messy in there and you're wrestling with guys who are heavier than you, that that is not really, that's, there's not a huge amount you can do about that. Um, but I so think I they're, but like surely like for the last two years though, Luke, like they've played against this La Rochelle team, like this shouldn't have come as a surprise to them. I mean, like, and everything is micromanaged in terms of their minutes, in terms of like what they're doing in training. And I understand, I get the point that you're making that it's not necessarily an aerobic thing. It's more like the physical exertion that they're taking, but this shouldn't have come as a surprise. So like, why were they kind of punch drunk? You know, like this is... This isn't good enough for a team of this quality and coaches of this quality. I don't think it's good enough whatsoever. They've gone two years now without winning a trophy. Like it's it's really, really poor. I know it's the slimmest and tightest of margins against an outstanding team, but Leinster knew what was coming last weekend. They knew what was coming in last year's final and they ended up, like Will has outlined there, they had good leads and they ended up losing both. So, um, like, I think that there are serious questions need to be asked in terms of how they've let the, these two years pass them by. Well, Nina Barr could be the perfect guy to sort this out because I think defensively, if you look at last year and this year, they gave up some unbelievably soft tries. Like, really, really soft. After doing some unbelievably hard work as well, um, you know, and I think that was really deflating. Like, if uh, like I don't know about anyone else, the amount of people who are texting me at halftime asked me what I thought, and I was like, I don't know, I'm nervous about this. Like, I, I think that, I thought they might be able to hang on, but I, I just felt like they, they just looked tired to me at the end of that first half. And then, like, you know, uncharacteristic missed tackles and guys not being able to keep up with the play, you know, in terms of making, ba- as I said, those bad decisions around for the Steny try. And, um, you know, the... The, people not getting around the corner, like that's kind of a basic part, you know. And, and I always feel like when you look at Leinster, sometimes they overemphasize this attacking brilliance. But I feel like, you know, you, you have to be really cautious about that. Like against big teams, like if, if you if you have a moment where things aren't going well and things weren't going well from the kick poorly, couldn't get out of their own half, they were making mistakes. La Rochelle were having a purple patch. A combination of those things meant they were going to be under pressure. You've got to be able to stick it out and defend. Um, and I feel like sometimes when they're quite like they're quite a bit ahead of teams, they don't really have a ruthless side in them where they they try and nil a team. Do you know those kind of teams that just try? You know that they're, they're they're trying to get you. It's like that Michael Jordan mentality. Like he's trying to he's trying to leave the guy he's marking on zero points, and he's trying to maximize his. But if he's on forty points, he's still not going to let you. He doesn't want to even send you to the free throw line. Do you know what I mean? And I, sometimes I think that with Leinster, when they're up, they can get a little bit loose defensively and think that it's okay to give away a try because in the league it doesn't really matter. They like they're you know they just have enough in the tank to to get by those things. But against La Rochelle, like they would have gone in at halftime. Did you hear the chat about the points? Like they were going to say, look, last year we were down eight points. This year it's only nine. Like and in fairness, like that was what I I, I was texting the guy and I said, listen, the first try, like, loads of people I'm sure were saying, first try in in this half. I think might go and, might go and get this, and I had a bad feeling about it, um, particularly with Ryan going off the pitch. You know, I thought that kind of blunted that pack our, our, our pack a little bit. He he's become so important. He's really back in form, I think, um, and such a key cog for Leinster and Ireland actually as well. Um, so hopefully he's okay. But like he's a massive loss. You see that tackle, even even the finishing tackle that like his last play of the game. I mean that was unbelievable. Such a good hit. He actually got he got so it was a freak instant as well. You know, he mills Skelton and then just catches another player. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So look, I I think I do think Lancer looked tired, Keen. I thought like it's it's quite easy. If you look at Ross Byrne, you look at Jameson Gibson Park, if people want the ball, if people are working into position early, I, I think those things kind of play a part in 
going into your shell because you can feel people wanting the ball. And maybe there was a bit of nervousness there, but I really felt like it was that tiredness from dealing with the big bodies. And I thought they went too frantic at the start of the game. Like I, I thought there was times where they were trying to absolutely annihilate every single Lara Shell guy in every single tackle. That's never how you should go about a comp- like an 80 minute battle. You just can't keep that up. Um, it, like, did you go back? If you go back and watch the first 15, 20 minutes of that game, look at every single contact and every single rook and every tackle. Like Leinster were going to absolutely annihilate them. Whereas really, what I was saying to you guys last week about, or what I was saying to Will, sorry, last week is the key part actually against La Rochelle, I think our teams like that, is oftentimes it's not actually trying to annihilate them or win the, the, the collision. It's winning where the collision happens. And Leinster actually did that really well. But on top of that, they tried to absolutely annihilate them. I felt they could have pushed they could have had the same impact or close to the same impact as they had defensively at the start of the game and at the rook if they'd been a bit more selective about the shots they were they were they were uh, they were delivering if they had just eased off the accelerator a little bit they would have ta- wouldn't have taken as much out of themselves is that not really um, hard to do like cuz it, it was producing results no, notwithstanding the 17 no, it, points and the three tries like it, it led to the two penalties as well some really good you know as you said smashing them behind the gain line like can you really be like oh i'm going to go at 80% here so i can be okay in the second half mate to go 80% in the you don't need to go 80% in the running just in just in the collisions so the collision happens in the same place will if you get me do you know the way they were getting hit behind the gain line all the time sometimes you can like you, you can let them do the drive and let them punch themselves out a little bit there's a I felt like that was a big part of this that no one's really talking about is how kind of wild that Leinster were at the start of the game yes it worked and it kind of shocked La Rochelle but once they kind of calmed down and figured out like hang on a second here we just need to get down the other uh, get out of our half uh, and get our hands on the ball for a little bit um, Leinster couldn't really cope then they, they looked like they were just they, they had given too much too soon um, the other, the other know, point on that as well Luke which, and Will which I think is really worth mentioning is that there was so much kind of talk about Leinster being in a better place than they were last year in terms of the squad they had on board it's like they, two of their three of their actually all three of their overseas signings were on the bench um, now Aladatoa is never going to start ahead of Furlong but someone like um, Jason Jenkins and Charlie Natto you know like that was a strong enough bench that they had and it still wasn't able to make the difference when it was uh, when it was going away from them so like I don't know if that's going to be something they're, they're going to have to look at because like you know when Jenkins was brought in it, the whole idea of him coming in was for games like this he got on earlier than expected for James Ryan but he couldn't quite have the the impact and I'm not absolutely not blaming him uh, whatsoever for the defeat but like these are the guys they're bringing in to try and get them over the line and it hasn't quite worked and the big thing is now like this was always going to be a massive period of transition, whether Leinster liked it or not, with Lancaster leaving, Johnny Sexton leaving. That becomes trickier now, you know, having gone two years without a trophy, letting a home final slip, letting the lead slip. Like they'll never get a home final in the Champions Cup ever again, most of these players. Like it was a massive opportunity. Yeah, one thing I'd like to ask your opinion about is, you know, afterwards, Ron Rogar was talking about like the team that they came into the game with. It was like about climbing Everest mm. and who you want to climb it with and you have to step over the bodies to get to Which is interesting compared to what Luke is saying in terms of Leinster not having that mentality, well, isn't like, it? But they're, like Leinster talk a lot about getting a fifth star, the fifth star, the fifth star, like even before this game Andrew Porter was like no one says how many URCs you have on your jersey it's all about down the stars well. but like <laughs> like going through of the 23 man squad at the weekend only 9 of them were involved in the Bilbao when they won it so for me they should be talking more focused on winning a first Champions Cup now, like all this talk about fifth star it's kind of like tapping in or leaning or relying on the glory of 
previous teams rather than actually saying well, we actually haven't won anything ourselves I, I, I kind of find it a, a bit of a crutch or a kind of some sort of thing that maybe they should be not focusing on like Toulouse have already won five Champions Cups so it's not as if it's breaking new ground at the top of the European game I feel like these guys, a lot of them haven't won anything. They should be more focused on the future rather than kind of navel-gazing on the history of, of Leinster. Maybe that's being harsh, but even in the build-up, I feel like they rely on that fifth starting and throw it around far too much. It's, that's a funny one, Will, that you say that, because I was talking to a guy I played with for a long time um, in Leinster about this, and I was kind of going, gee, I think it was at the start of the season. Um, maybe sorry, maybe more kind of um, midway through the season, and I was just chatting to him about the team. I was like, geez, they're, they're, they're playing such good rugby. It's it's like they seem to be playing at a completely different level to even when we were playing, and even though we, you know, were, were pretty successful. And his response to me was, I won't name the name, but his response was, yeah, but they haven't won anything. Um, you know, and, and that's interesting that you say that as well. Um, because you do still like it, it's funny, like everyone's talking about this kind of the Giannis kind of Atticantumbo, I don't know how to pronounce his second name, but that that decent attempt. Sorry? A decent attempt, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Greek is a little rusty. Uh, but he... he, he Do you know that, that uh, speech he kind of gave after they got knocked out? Yeah, there's no like losing that. in sports. There's just, you know, trying. Yeah, well. like, it, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it steps on the journey. Like, no, but there kind of is. Like, it, it's, it, it's like, he was talking about failure. That's what it was. He was talking about failure. Like, I still think, like, it's okay to fail. But, like, if you don't win something, it is a failure. Like, you go out, to, you set out goals at the start of the season to go and win something. So, um. Yeah, I don't know. I think that mindset, like, I think you might be right on there. You might, you might, you, there might be something to touch on there. I, I do think they built it up a little bit too much this week or last week. Sorry. Um, you know, but like the like- pressure, if, if the pressure wasn't big enough, like to, to basically, to, to, we talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, resting your entire team basically for the Munster match meant that, like, that, that means they, they were basically saying it's all about this game. So, like, if the pressure wasn't big enough before that and then losing to Munster as well, and then, like, you know, and Andrew Porter's comment clearly gives an insight, I would think, into what the squad think about it as well. It's like, no one's counting the URC medals in the squad. We all have a load of those. It's all about this game. Like, that that has to... Like, I know you say you don't think it was nerves, and I do. I agree with you about um, maybe punching themselves out, given how the second half against La Rochelle have gone, but I think it had to have become an issue as it slipped away. Like, anyone who's played any matches before have been in situations where you're losing a big lead and everything's going against you, and it does. You're like, oh my God, are we actually going to lose this game? Like, yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who... Who works in uh, works in rugby, and he's like long maintained that the Irish players are overprotected in a certain sense, and that kind of yeah. feeds into not like um, getting past a World Cup quarter final because, like, it's not really comparing like for like, but I'm going to do it anyway. You look at Munster over the last couple of months; they've had no choice but to play their full team back to back when they've had games because their season and next season, in terms of qualifying for the Champions Cup, has been on the line. And you saw then by the time they got to that Leinster game. Okay, I know it was wasn't a full strength Leinster team at all, and it was pretty narrow. But Munster were far better than Leinster that day, and probably should have won by more. But you could see they were battle hardened; they were really tuned in with each other. Whereas sometimes you're kind of looking at Leinster going, particularly now that the South African teams are in the URC. Like Leinster have never won the URC. Let's remember, you know what I mean. I know yeah. it's only been two years, but. Um, the URC deserves more respect now because it's become harder to win. And I would imagine that that will be one of the big things that Leo Cullen will look at over, you know, the summer. Now, last year was a little bit different because the URC semi-final came the week after the Champions Cup final. So a little bit different. But at the same time, 
they allowed an opportunity to potentially win a trophy in the URC slip by their grasp by their own doing and that was Leo Cullen's own decision like injuries are part and parcel of the game like Munster suffered loads of injuries but still managed to get past Leinster in the end so uh, it's a fine balance and we do like and I'd be one of the first people to to praise Leo Cullen for how he manages his squad but doing it in a URC semi-final um, and then Andrew Porter coming out with that you're right Will it shows you what well, the I don't think I've is. seen in like you know sporting history a team just getting to a semi-final of a major tournament and then just saying I'm going to rest my entire it's team it's crazy yeah like, I've just, I don't think I've actually seen that in it, and it's not right it's disrespectful towards competition well, and a competition well, that's well, tougher to win for it. no well, I wasn't you, calling for it mixing and matching mixing and matching is completely different St- drop, uh, having 12 lads on the stand I was saying maybe have six <laughs> you know it's slightly better the bench the bench should have been stacked the bench. I, don't know, I don't know if you can see me wagging my finger here but I am wagging my finger well yeah, you're about I, you're two counties away like so I, we can barely see you either like but uh, no to be, to be to be fair I I I was advocating a kind of a a mix and match approach for the quarter and the semi final against Munster I I never I never said go uh, go go full Leo Cullen ah well I, I you know my views on that yeah like, I I I didn't like it at the time um and I feel like a little bit vindicated now I I think as well like you can kind of that would have been a really good battle for guys to have come through like you know a, a week before a, a final like or a, like a Heineken final like that a kind of attritional game um you know you would have got a savage workout yes you're taking a risk with some of your guys but um you know I felt that they should have been playing you know I, I, I kind of feel you're probably right like two or three key guys maybe furlong maybe because he you know it sounded like he was struggling with an injury um you know I'd say Ryan uh, as well maybe you could have brought you could have left on the bench but you still play your best 23 I, I, I honestly feel like that was a, that and was a, a, f- a few of the guys who hadn't started a game since Toulouse looked a little rusty. Like Ringrose, you know, didn't have his best game. Ross Byrne had only come off the bench against um, the Sharks. He didn't play at all against Munster. Like he, he wasn't as sharp as he had been against Toulouse. Even his kicking, like I know the conversions were more difficult, but his ones against Toulouse were straight between the posts, and they were at an angle as well. So you know, they, uh, everyone came in with varying degrees of match sharpness or match fitness. But you just you, you could get the same result by not. Like what they could have done was they could have done the first three days or the first two days of a week of someone, you know, you, you could have prepped or you could have, you know, you could have done something, um, you know, just to say, look, that is, we're, we're kind of getting prepared for this. But you just keep guys off, the, uh, like, sorry, the week before, the week of the Munster one. Um, you know, you could have said, look, be, just be thinking about this and they kind of get ready for the Munster one. Kind of similar to what Joe Schmidt used to do. Uh, if you were really worried about it, but I don't think they, I didn't think they needed to be. I, I thought that they, they know that team well enough um, to be able to pick up what they need to know on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and be fighting fit, ready to go by Thursday. You just keep the guys off their feet. Like what, when you get to this, this time of the season, walkthroughs are generally enough, you know, but, but where you where you want to be fit, you don't want to be fit in the gym. You want to be fit on the pitch. And the best way to do that is actually by being on the pitch. I know you're risking a few injuries. And there was probably, as I said, probably a few guys you could have left off. But I, I just felt like that was a mistake. I thought it was a, it was a kind of a little bit of weakness. It was kind of like trying to keep everyone happy in a team when like that's not what that's not what sports about like it, it isn't about that it's uh it's it's making sure that there's a kind of meritocracy in place um you know and and it's kind of based on 
uh, everything that happens during the season. And, and like, say, like, just because someone doesn't play in, in, in some of the league games because he's an international doesn't mean that he shouldn't come back in. Like, that, by virtue of being an international, you, you do get a bit of a bit of leeway when it comes to to, to knockout rugby. Um, I thought it was more know, because they were spooked about La Rochelle and they, they thought that they had to win this game. And the best way to ensuring that was to make sure the, the lads were fresh. You can't throw away, can't throw away a semi-final of a league. That's, especially, they especially, That's against, they especially against Munster, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, this, I goes back to, this goes back to your um, mentality about, you know, and Raj kind of touching it, you know, when you're trying to climb Everest, you climb over the dead bodies. Like, Munster have been down and out for the last few years and now all of a sudden they have the chance to become the most successful prov- Irish province over the last two years. When it, when Leinster could have, ha- like, you know, beaten them if they'd played their team and now all of a sudden if Munster win the URC final this weekend, it changes the complexion, I would say, of Irish rugby going into next season for the better because, like, we need a good, strong Munster for, in terms of the rivalry. But that may be fed into, mind- do you think it fed into the mindset, Luke? Of what you were saying I, in terms of being, I, I completely agree with you, Keen. A hundred percent, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't know, were you off? Were you listening last week? I, I was, I, because I, I, I kind of said, like, when you, when someone's kind of drowning, you, you, you put the foot on them and you, and you, and you, you finish the job. Um, you know, and, and I kind of feel like it's a bit, it's a real lifeline for Munster who have felt like they're really like a distant second to Leinster the last couple of years. Like, Leinster have been able to put that team out in the league and kind of beat them reasonably comfortably the last five, six, seven years. Um, but uh, like, that's that's going to change. You think of the confidence that gives the group, you think of the other impacts that you don't see, like the kind of intangible stuff, like the confidence it brings is something that you can't see, but it brings a cohesiveness and a belief. It also brings, like, it, it brings in more money to, 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 to the province. It brings in, it's easier for them to sell the project to people going in, going, well, we are, we're the league champions. We beat Leinster last year. Uh, all these kind of things, like there's all these things that you don't really think about at the time by not, um, you know, finishing, finishing a team off when you're, when you are clearly better, if you play your first team, um, you know, I, I think all those things are kind of, I, I think it's, it, it was a little bit arrogant and it was a little bit, um, I, I think, I think you just never give someone like that. You never give a, like your one of your biggest rival rivals and a, a club like Munster. You never, if you're ahead of them, you've got to try and stay ahead of them by being ruthless every time you have any kind of contact with them in a game. You just never give them a chance to get back up because it's a brilliant club down there, brilliant supporters. Um, you know, they 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 can attract big stars and they have good coaches now. I think so. I think they're a team on the up. Um, and I think that could take them to the next level. Uh, they still need a few more signings, I think, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was I thought that did feed into the mindset, and I thought it oh it might have played into the overhyping thing, but also it plays into maybe a you know a, another mindset they have, maybe that lack of ruthlessness, maybe. Hmm. One thing about the match I would like to about your opinions on is the end game when Leinster finally you know they went behind and then they actually had to play a bit of rugby again, got all the way up to the line. Do you think like Ross Byrne slash Leinster were wrong not to like get into the drop goal kind of formation and attempt that? I went back and forth on it because I watched it again this morning before we came in here and like they they did make a lot of yardage very quickly. Like, what were we going to say? Did, did, you, did anyone else think they had them? Oh, I thought they were going to score there, yeah. I did. Yeah, After Natai, to be fair, Natai carried the ball to like a yard a yard out like and then there was a steal. It was kind of hard I, I to see on TV. Yeah. I think I think they had them if they uh, if it hadn't been for that clean out. I think they would have had them, um, you know, in a couple of phases. But the thing uh, is, so like, so Leinster get up to within a yard of the line, get turned over, get a second bite. Is the second bite the time to go for the drop goal? Like you had your you were had them on the rack, you missed out, you missed your chance. Is that maybe the time to say there's only a two or three minutes on the clock here? I'm taking two minutes left. Is that the time to maybe get into the pocket? 
I thought there would have been a better shot for him. I don't know. Did you think the same, Keen? I, I felt like there was a better shot for him. I thought they, they'd actually done really well. Like, it's very hard to... It's very hard to allow for that kind of that cleaner, that scenario happening. Like, and in fairness, he was a little bit unlucky. Like, if it wasn't for that Lower Shell player rolling into his into his path, he probably gets there on time. But the real annoying thing about it for me was that he took the arm. If he hadn't took the arm, if he had bound on his own player, it would have been fine, I thought. Um, but he but that that's such a bad look when he tucks the arm. Um, so I thought there was a little bit of bad luck in the two. Uh, I think. It was kind of unlucky. Like it, it, he got a lot. Of, they're getting a lot of stick for that first penalty where he didn't get much distance on it. Um, but they also decided not to go for the kick and go to the go to the corner. Um, and then obviously with the two hookers off, like it was. That, like that it was, throw was also looked, three yards crooked. Yes, like exactly. Van der Feer's throw was so crooked. Like I. Yeah. And, and the, th- <laughs> the thing about it was too. like I mean, as soon as he got the penalty, you were immediately thinking back to November in Australia. Mm. Like it, it was. Did you think he should have gone for it? I thought it was worth a crack, but look, I would. I thought it was too far, personally. But I, I, I would, I, I would imagine it was too far because yeah. otherwise he absolutely would yeah. have. And everything we know about Ross Byrne since he was coming through St Michael's when he kicked, um, famously, uh, I think it was in the Junior Cup, even maybe a penalty twelve minutes into injury time to get a draw. So like he's always had that mentality of stepping up and kicking it. So you could see him throwing up the grass and checking the wind. So I would imagine he felt like he didn't have it within him. But on the drop goal point, I. He's kicked one drop goal in his career. Yeah. 167 games, he's only dropped one goal. That, that to me, kind of feeds into the point I'm going to make. I would struggle to think that Leinster didn't talk about the potential of needing a drop goal. Having lost the final in the circumstances that they did last year, like, surely they're talking about... Last week. Last, last year. <laughs> but and even the Munster game was a week before. Sorry, but, but, this is the po- but this is the point I'm, I'm coming on to. So I've heard the argument being made um, that, you know, they weren't quite in a position to go for a drop goal. Munster started that phase of play under their own posts against against Leinster before Jack Crowley got the drop goal. So that's a bit of a rubbish argument. I think players of this quality could manipulate um, the position if they wanted to put Ross Byrne in the pocket. So... I would say, whose decision is that? To me, it does fall on the out half. Like Ross Byrne, and I've been praising him all season in terms of his leadership, like becoming a de facto captain. But like, that is where you want your out half stepping up, grabbing the grain by the scruff, telling the pack that I want this moment, put me into position, I'll have a crack uh, at it. I don't think it's as, as like... Uh, yeah, there wasn't a good position. There weren't... It, it, but the, the position is different. Think of where Jack Crowley takes that, that, um, takes that drop goal. Kane, it's from the middle of the park. Like if you think about where Leinster were, well, Leinster could Leinster not manu- like maneuver themselves into. Yeah, but look, I, I didn't think they needed to be thinking like that. There was still time on the clock, and I actually felt that they actually they were the positions they were in. I thought they did the right things where they were. I felt like he would have dropped back if they got towards the middle of the pitch and it kind of got bogged down. But I actually thought they had them. My, my sense was like my feeling in the game, and I listened to a lot of people talking about it. Um. Felt like I, I I don't know about you. I, I felt like Leinster had them at the end. Uh, if they were if they could hang on to it for another couple of phases, um, both sides were were exhausted. But it just felt like um, Leinster had enough to get over the line for a try and had come close on a, a very close on a couple of occasions. Um, but we're talking about uh, them earlier being punch drunk. You know what I mean? Like, is this smart? Yeah, no, no. But I think there were. I don't think that. I don't think the two are mutually. I thought both teams were exhausted at the end of the game. Um, and you know, I thought Piper was kind of leaning a little bit Lancer's way at the end, bar the dodgy decision for Jimmy, Jimmy O'Brien in the air. I thought that was a poor one, and maybe uh, you could argue with the Kalen Doris one too. But um, 
I, I don't know. I thought he was kind of leaning Leinster's way. He was letting them away, but they were going off their feet at the rook. The, the momentum was with them, if you get me. Um, without being overly flashy and delivering a really nice play, which I think if they were fresh, they could have. Um, I thought they were kind of the both teams were were kind of at at the end of of their of their fuel tank, and I just felt like Leinster had it just enough to to get over the line in that circumstance. If if they hadn't given away that red card at the end, um, and I just felt like they they you have to work yourself into that position. I feel like naturally you kind of get there. Like Munster naturally ended up in that position, and you could see like it wasn't a pre-planned thing. Um, and I and I don't I didn't think Leinster should have been pre-planning that anyway. I thought they were right to kind of run down the clock. It would have been the same as last year, where you, the last play of the game is the is the try and it's over. Um, so I thought they were kind of right to do to, to play the way they did. If I'm being honest, I thought he was he came in for a lot of unfair criticism. Well, Larishel needed a try last year, didn't they? Yeah, like that's, it's a bit different. Like Larishel did need a try. Yeah, so but I think no, it's a bit, the, I think I think we're being a bit too soft here. If I'm being honest, I think a, a stronger out half. I think if Johnny Sexton's on the pitch there, he's demanding the ball to put me into position for a drop goal. That's just my feeling. Firstly, I think Raj on the other side absolutely would have done it. Uh, Jack Crowley certainly did it the week before. So I think we're being a little but bit. He didn't. He didn't plan that. He didn't plan that. They just. They, they would have called it though as they were moving up like I mean they, no, Munster no, didn't even build phases no, no. in it because he dropped straight back into the pocket yeah he did when they were in front of the posts but like if you think about Le- the, the, the phase of play before that Leinster were never really in that position Like, but, go, but my point is no, why don't they try and put themselves in the position they're trying to run over a team who've just p- beaten them up for the last they were on the line Kane. they were literally on the line it's a, it's completely different if you're stuck it's so do you, do you think if Johnny Sexton's on the pitch do you think he's he's not asking he, he, there's no way he's trying to he'd finish off that try I bet you he'd be able to deliver an intricate moment where they'd probably be able to get over the line with his ball handling skills and the way he'd be driving that pack around the pitch, he'd be going for a try in the same circumstances. Like the only reason you'd be going for a drop goal is if you're kind of just like whatever, but probably 10 meters. If you're a right footer, 10 meters to the right of the, uh, of the left-hand post uh, or anywhere in the middle, probably a little bit off to the right is probably acceptable too, but you'd probably still try and work them back in uh, to the, to the left-hand side of the post. So you've got pretty much a straight shot with maybe a small angle. I, I honestly think you're, you're, I think you're being too harsh on that one. Um, I think you have to find yourself in that position or else you have to pre-call it. But your lens to roll I thought the, the, the biggest mistake was to kind of the brain fart about actually going to the corner. Um, which they got away with, to be honest with you, with Josh van der Fleer throwing that in crooked. Um, but I felt they did the right, they made actually the right decisions, bar that decision that the rook to took the arm and to, um, yeah, just to took the arm. Everything else was fine, I thought. I, and I, I, I know I, when I was watching it at the time, I actually agreed with Luke and having very, I watched many similar debates on Saturday evening after the game between people. And like most people I talked to did say they definitely should have went for the drop goal. But I think people are just like assuming it would have been a successful drop goal. Like, the, like no matter what, oh, if he'd gone in the pocket, definitely would have nailed it. It's Where not, are you kicking it from? It's Where not as, e- it's not it as easy, I think, as some people are making it out that it, I actually think they were on the line. Like they got up, they were on the try, they were about an inch away oh, from the try line. Where's he going to drop back? To for a drop kick, like what's he gonna like? What he's gonna take? But like the Keane's point, like they they could have said, okay, we we have the ball on the twenty two. There's two minutes left. Do we just kind of hammer away towards the centre, bleed the clock, and then go for a drop goal with a minute left? Like that's yeah. But the lowest percentage thing is probably to be picking and going there. You know what I mean in terms of making an error, and you know generally you might get a you know you might get a penalty if they. You know, if they get a bit, you know, if they get panicked on the line and someone over overdoes it, you know, trying to compete for the ball and get it back. Like there, there was loads of good things that could have happened. But like from the angles they were at and the positions they were, the momentum they had, I didn't see a clear opportunity for him to drop back in that pocket unless they got bogged down. But they didn't get bogged down until they got very, very close to the Labrachelle line. 
Um, and like I, I would never like the going for a drop goal is, is not an unbelievably high percentage play unless the conditions are right. The conditions were brilliantly like were, were perfect for, for Crowley last week and great bottle on him, but the conditions are perfect where the rook was, they were bogged down. There was kind of forwards plays being set up, so we had them to kind of cover them and give him a bit of a you know, make the, the Leinster chasers try and go around them. The conditions are perfect for him and he executed brilliantly. Fair play to him, but the conditions have to be there. Like, would Johnny they not have called it off the line out though? Even no, why call it from the line out? Like that's like I did. I think it's a it was a lower percentage play. I thought they they felt like they obviously were if the, if they got in the position. There's an, I have no doubt Ross Burns mindset that he steps into the pocket and delivers, but they were never in that position. But why wouldn't and I? I, I, I don't know. Like we're kind of going back and forth here. But why would they not have someone have come together like Ross Maloney, the line out caller, Ross Burns, whoever, before that line out was thrown and said like Luke's or like Will mentioned to try and manoeuvre ourselves into the middle of the pitch here for Ross Byrne to drop back in the pocket rather than trying to take on a team who'd been beating them up for the last hour or whatever it was. But your Dante had just got yellow carded so they were on 14 men. Do you know what I mean? That, I would have yeah, said that... Like, Kelleher was yeah, off as well, wasn't he? Hmm. So yeah, it was 14-14. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they felt like they had the fitness on them or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? Um, like, it's, it's, a real, it's a real hindsight thing and I'm not trying to be harsh, but like, your stat is brilliant, Will, in terms of like, Ross Byrne has kicked one drop goal in his whole career. Like, that's interesting in itself. Yeah. Think about the games he plays, though, for the most part. Think about the games. He's playing the games in the league. Like... How many of them has he lost? I bet you he's got an unbelievable win win record as well. No, it's just, just like, like taking a drop goal with the game on the line is not something he's had to do in his career. Bar that, that well, that one time against the Ospreys six years ago, I can't say I remember the game, but it was a game winning drop goal. So at least he if you don't remember it, will I'd say the two of us are going to struggle. <laughs> no, but no, it's an interesting debate. To be fair, this this was one of the key debates everyone was having after the game, and I suppose when you're an inch short of the line. Pounding away, I, I think it's not as clear cut as saying, oh, they definitely should have gone for a drop goal. Because if Al Alatoa hadn't done that clear out, you know, but they potentially might have scored a try. But here we, as I said, we could have been, we could be here all night talking about this. But in terms of later on now in the year, like what sort of damage does this do for Ireland in a World Cup context? Now, you know, after the the Six Nations, Ireland were Grand Slam champions, keen, it was, you know, they were their mentality was bulletproof, you know, dealing with chaos, dealing with adversity. You'd struggle to think it was the same team or majority of the same team who played at the weekend there. Like, does this feed in now to the World Cup? Are our World Cup hopes completely up in smoke? I, I don't think so. And I think this has been a little bit overhyped. I think the English media, the South African media have absolutely fed off this. And I, I, I don't blame them. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> them. But like that's because they don't have te- like they didn't have teams in, in the final to to be writing about, so they need something to write about. Um I think this has been overplayed, I have to say. Um, really? Yeah, for several different reasons. Um, I go back to last year, Leinster lost a URC semi-final. They lost the Champions Cup in the closing stages to the same team. A couple of months later, they went down to New Zealand, won a tour, followed it up by winning a Grand Slam, clean sweep in November. Uh, move on to this year. This La Rochelle team are awesome. They're not like the French, a French, a French team. They're picked, like they've got stars from all over the world, if you know what I mean. So this isn't like playing France. They are an outstanding team. So powerful, like they have two Springboks on the wing. Will Skelton um, in the second row, Bottia in the back row, Kerr Barlow at scrum half. So like they've players plucked from all over the world. So like it's not like you're playing a like for like international team. The two camps, while they have very similar players, have different coaches, different ways of going about things. Um, so I wouldn't be pu- pushing the panic button just yet. Will you seem your face tells me that you are? Well, no, panicking it's, it's just like you know when they when it gets to a World Cup quarter final. Like because no, I agree with you. Like last year, Rochelle, but like to lose like that, to lose at home, seventeen 0 up, when it was just like teed up that this was the year. 
like when you get to a World Cup quarter final. Now, to be fair, Andy Farrell and Gary Keegan have done great mental work with the team. But like the Andy pl- Farrell is sitting at home going, "Oh, adversity! We've more adversity now." The players are <laughs> coming. <laughs> the in. players the blew players a seventeen-point <laughs> lead. I'm delighted. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. The players brilliant. are on the floor, but like this no, is the well, challenge. Pick them but Luke, up. what do you think? Like for me, like this is like a defeat that leaves scars. Like that, this is going to be a defeat that the players will be thinking about in 20, 30 years' time. They'll be waking up in cold sweats, remembering the day they had a seventeen-point lead at home in a Champions Cup final and lost. I, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I, I kind of would, would agree with uh, with Keane on that. I don't think there's a massive correlation. I think the Bray, the little bit of hurt actually might put them in a good position for the World Cup for training and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think the disappointment will, will, will drive this team on. I also think they'll be back. Um, you know, I don't think this is going to be the end for this team by any stretch. Like, they're still... Like, they're still a, a brilliant team. I think Nina Bar could add something very different. Now, of course, there'll be a little bit of transition, but I, I think he could be perfect. Like, he could be exactly what this this team needs. Um, you know, and a breath of fresh air might be might be good at this stage. Um, but I think as regards Ireland, I, I don't think it's... And, and I also don't think you come up against, like, they're kind of la- like Rogers kind of playing the poor man a little bit, but like when you, you look at that team, like that's an um, that's a star sort of team that you're coming up against, um, and they play every week together. So like they might not be as they they might be better than a French team if you know what I mean. Um, possibly, um, they'd, I'd say they'd run them close. Like you think of that pack, like that must be the worst combination ever. Like Skelton and Antonio together, like it's just an absolute nightmare to try and deal with. Like everything you do, they seem to be disruptive. Like you can't get any good uh, scrum ball, your line out, like whatever, don't like Ryan. Like I think it's probably fair to say that they're probably bar, bar maybe Sean Edwards, you'd have to say they might be better coached than the French team as well. So I, I think that's a massive challenge coming up against that, that La Rochelle team. Um, and they're kind of the perfect foil for Leinster as well. Like even Body, you think of how good Body is on the ground. Some of those turnovers and the positions he was able to get his There was body one in. ridiculous one he got. Oh, that you, he was, his feet yeah. were like ahead of the ball. His center, his center of gravity is... His feet, yeah, his feet were like, oh yeah, it was so... It was, he was like sitting how down. to keep his balance? Yeah, I like, don't know. Like you see how he kept his balance? Like his feet were literally... Both his feet were either side of the ball in a deep squat. <laughs> Like it was absolutely bizarre. I've never seen. He was sitting in a chair. It was so strange. <laughs> but he was able to take a hit yeah. in that position. It was absolutely bizarre. But like, yeah, no, look, they have some brilliant, brilliant players. Um, and all just been a star for that French team. Oh, he was Bar- so Dupont, good at the weekend as well. Who, in fairness, Kerbalu is some player. Like he is. He was everywhere, and he's like a physical presence too. He's similar to Dupont, not as good as Dupont, of course, but he's bloody close. Like he's a savage player. Um, yeah, I think that's a serious team that Lancer come up against. I do think that they have, they could, they can beat them I think there's probably mentally some scarring there um, but I think they need to be a bit calmer about how they go about it and a bit more clinical I, cold head, like kind of icy cold mentality kind of assassin mentality is probably what they need versus kind of you know wild um, you know and kind of barbaric kind of <laughs> mentality where you're just kind of going absolutely berserk and trying to smash everything in your way for the first 25 minutes. That's not really what Lencer are about, I don't think. You need to have the physical mindset, but um, I think they just went a little bit too far on that front. And I, I think this this Lencer team will be back and I don't think it impacts Ireland going forward. I think Ireland are in a brilliant place. Yeah, let's give. Yeah. We haven't talked about Rodri, which is, must be the longest anyone's gone on a podcast this week without doing so. Like, what's happened in La Rochelle has been unbelievable. Like, even Antonio and Boccia, I think, started in the Pro D2 playoff final in 2014. Like, they've been here for the goods of 10 years or more in some cases with, with, with this team, and they've been there the whole time. But, like, for what Ron O'Gara has done now, his first two years as kind of his own man as the full head coach, not answering to anyone, two Champions Cubs. 
I'm really fascinated to see what they do in the top 14. I'd love if they played Toulouse to see if they can finally get one over them. You know, it's just, what can you say? Unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's just been a perfect, perfect marriage, I think, in terms of going to La Rochelle. Like, a, a, could you even call them a sleeping giant? Uh, possibly you could. But um, you look at the celebrations again, like over the last few days and what it means. Like, and I know Raj has compared it to, you know, Munster. And that's the kind of mentality that he's clearly trying to instill. <clears throat> and, you know, when we when we talk about the different players that they've brought in, like very few of them are absolute superstars in terms of on like massive, massive money. Obviously more of them are now, but you're thinking of Skelton, Doolan maybe, even though Doolan's been out of the he French. He was really good at the weekend as well. Class player, but like he's been out of the French setup mm. for, for a while. But like your Bottiers, your Antonio's, Kerr Barlow's, like these players weren't exactly like, you know, superstars. So he's had brilliant Satini who was really good as well. Hastoy had out half. I don't think enough was made about um, his little play to put... Um, to put Satini over for his try, so, so good. Like, there's a guy who's playing with Powell last season, so um, clearly the recruitment is brilliant as well. Uh, Donica Ryan has done an unbelievable job. You can see it with the pack, um, even like someone like Sean Dougal, who I had a piece of it last week, has come in in the SNC contact skills side of things. So, Rog has got a brilliant uh, group of coaches around him. Um, one thing that, you know, Sean Dougal was telling me last week was that... Um, He's one of these head coaches who doesn't try and micromanage everything. He really, he gets people around him who he trusts and he allows them to go and do their job. And I think that's what all the, the great coaches do. That's certainly what you hear with about Andy Farrell at the moment, that he allows Paul O'Connell to go away and do his thing, my cat, etc. So look, I mean, you look at the experience that he's gone away and done, like, I mean, his coaching career pathway that he's been on is absolutely sensational. And what, like, it's, it's an obvious thing, but something that probably still doesn't get enough credit, he's doing it in a second language. Like, I know mm. there's a lot of... You you know, you listen there, there's guys from Australia, New Zealand, you know, mm-hmm. plenty of countries where there are native English speakers, but there's a lot of French lads there as well. And like to do that and to achieve what he's achieved, I don't know if he spoke French before he went to Racing. I'm not sure I hadn't heard that he had anyway, but like that's that's a phenomenal achievement. And to get the buy in as well from all those people, I know he was touching on in terms of their different cultures, their different backgrounds. That's not easy to do either, you know, but you can see how much um, it means. There's some brilliant videos of the celebrations uh, doing the rounds. I saw one earlier. Um, Raymond Rules is just like the, the party guy in that team because um, even last year in Marseille, like he was the guy who was walking around uh, with the boom box in and out to the captain's run and afterwards in the celebrations but I don't know if either of you guys saw it or any of the listeners but um, Roger, not the big cigar. with the big cigar yeah, and the huge, bottle of beer a <laughs> Cuban cigar <laughs> yeah buying Raymond Rule with the sun beating down in La Rochelle and look that's what it's all about you get the sense I heard Dunica Ryan saying it as well a few weeks ago that uh, the lads the players all arrived for training and Roger decided to take them all off surfing for the day because he felt like you know needed to release the pressure valve so there's definitely a sense that this group they work hard and they play hard but when they're on they're on and when they're off you know they do enjoy it and you you can see that they idolise Raj in terms of what he's doing and like he must be one of the hottest tickets in town at the moment in terms of coaching all the, the teams like that he's created and because he's so accessible and he gives you insights he's not afraid to you know like other coaches like not give you anything. But he but used the media as much as I'd say after Eddie Jones, I'd say more than anyone else in terms of messaging and, and, and kind of putting out these things. Like he doesn't he doesn't do it in the same way Eddie Jones does it in terms of being a bit like you know I suppose rude or whatever like that he's gonna just like but he's very he's he, smart he uses it more than any coach I've seen like he's is it everything he's saying to the media he's trying to get a point across obviously every coach is to an extent but he's throwing out like these little things and he, he, he knows it. what he's he, doing he like. gets it and by I think by showing 
more of himself. Obviously, people become more engaged. Like that stuff about his mom was like just really interesting. He didn't have to tell the the world about that. He could have kept it, you know, but it just shows the... I think the emotional intelligence and the depths that he's willing to go to get his players to buy in. And you can imagine that like a squad that size, that they all have their own personal stories about what's going on in the background that we're not hearing. But it takes a serious, um, seriously intelligent person, I think, to tap into that and also to to get it to, to work as well as it has. So, look, he's done like an absolutely brilliant job and like he was saying afterwards like they're and I mentioned earlier they're not finished yet like this there's eight changes to the starting team that won last year against Leinster it's mad like they've been so good at recruiting I read mm. a really interesting piece in the bill of I think it was in Rugby World they have a German sporting director who used to play for the club who's kind of in charge of the recruitment because they just add one or two guys every year like they lost to the Championship Final in 21 they brought Jonathan Dante in that summer he's been unbelievable then last summer like Suteni came in Hastoy came in Delan came in to reinforce the bench like Teddy Tamar came in and can't even get into the 23 like they have a really good back three like they just every year they've added a few bits and pieces and I know I think Jack Nold is coming in potentially next year and they're pretty stacked in the back three but like it's still a, a pretty big name like Luke what, what Roger and what La Rochelle have done like as much as it's a tough day for, tough weekend for Leinster what have you like it's been, a, it's been an unbelievable journey for them over the last couple of years <laughs> yeah he's, been, he's a very impressive guy isn't he um He's an interesting guy too. He's in the details, kind of watching everything. Like he sent me a lovely text there a couple of weeks ago. Um, after I was, someone might have asked me about him. I don't know what. I think it was was it on? I actually think it was probably on the podcast. And um, better be careful what we say. So huh. <laughs> yeah, no, but he sent me. He, no, he just he does like he must. I don't know whether where how it got back to him, but he was just saying, "Listen, thanks for the lovely words, whatever." But like he's obviously in the details with everything, even if he is. Even if he's kind of hands off, as you say, Keenan, he's managing people, maybe getting given the guys, maybe, you know, I, I read that article about the surfing thing too. You know, that's that's kind of a guy who's into the detail for me. It's not a guy who was able to like who's taking it easier. And like he that's a guy who has his finger on the pulse of the group, understands what they need at the right time, and is able to kind of deliver something that obviously, you know, is a small thing, maybe in a lot of people's mind, but it can, as you say, can release the pressure and put the, everyone in, in, a, in a different mindset and, and reframe to help the, the the kind of group that he's managing and leading um, to deliver on their potential. And, it, and it's very, very impressive. Like, I, I feel like the New Zealand thing is probably the most impressive thing um, that I've heard. Like, he's got a big, like, that's a big family he's got that he had to move down there. Um, you know, and and, and they, the support he obviously gets at home, um, you know, is obviously great because to be able to do that, like, that's a big move that they made. Um, you know, and France is probably a nicer prospect than heading down to New Zealand, though New Zealand's gorgeous, but it's just so far away. Um, and I think that... Um, that kind of was is a real testament to his character that he went and did that and tried to further himself and make himself a better coach. Um, and I think that's all really stood to him now that he, I feel like he understands more about himself and what he wants to be as a coach. Um, and it looks like he's really delivering on that. And look, he's a very bright guy. Like he doing it in another language doesn't surprise me with him. Kind of like, like uh, Paulie O'Connell is kind of similar to him. They're kind of, they're different mentalities, but they're kind of similar to like both really, really impressive people and also very likable guys. Um, but also very tough. So like they've got all the kind of things that you need to be successful as, as successful as they were in their careers. I think they'll be just as successful after their careers too. So in, in what they're doing currently. So uh, great to see the both of them having such good success and Roger in particular, obviously after last weekend is, is, is uh, the one we're discussing now, but um, yeah, it's great to see it. He's a really good guy too. So it's, it's uh, very, very pleasing to see an ex teammate, um, you know, really flourishing. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how far, how long and how, how far they can kind of keep this run going. I think the next thing for them is obviously a bouclier and, and seeing if they can win that. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll, 
enjoy the celebrations as we saw from the videos and uh, and refocus pretty quickly because I think if they can do that, winning those two at the same time is that, that's a really difficult thing to do. Like that's a seriously attritional league, um, and I think that that's you know if they do that that'd be a, doing the double and those things it, that's seriously impressive so interesting to see if he can go on and do that now the next couple of weeks but the schedule it, the schedule breaks pretty nicely for them like they have they have a home game this saturday the last regular season game but they don't have anything really yeah. riding on it then they have a week off before a semi-final so it actually you know they can have a good and crack i think at they'll it. i think they'll have learned uh, a lot from last year as well in terms of how to to manage that because obviously they came up short in the top 14 after winning the champions cup but in terms of Rog, you know, keeping his finger on the pulse. And I've no doubt he does read and listen to a lot of the stuff um, over here. But, like, I just thought it was unbelievable that he was watching the AIL final live a couple of weeks ago. Like, mm. I mean, talk about, you know, keeping track of what's going on. I like, was like, get that guy Dooley over to La Rochelle. <laughs> I thought I was <laughs> well, thinking. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? He already tried to get uh, one yeah. monster out half in Jack Crowley. But, like, to be watching the AIL final live from La Rochelle on a top 14 weekend ahead of the Champions Cup final was remarkable. And it just shows a sign of a guy who is all over the detail. Yeah. Ah, yeah, he's one of those characters that he's just endlessly fascinating like you know every time you hear him in the media he he does give great quotes and very you know colourful thoughtful characters you should get him on the pod yeah if he's, if he's a listener hey Raj how are you <laughs> um, might, might, might get him on uh, at, at, at some stage just before we finish up and Rod and Snake Sam will have a pod later in the week looking ahead to the Munster Stormers game and I know we don't have that much time now Keen, but like it, it's such a massive game I was saying before we started it's almost a pity it follows right on the heels of this because it's been such a you know big debrief the last couple of days but like what an opportunity it is for Munster and as you, as you said there they could become the most successful Irish team from the last two mm. seasons but I think it's huge that like beating Leinster and they got into South Africa this is still such a big chance for them like, they might not get another chance just because they seem to be on the up and up you can't take these opportunities for granted yeah it, it's a pity almost that we have to deal so much with the fallout you're right you'd love a little bit more breeding space because this is a massive game and um, like what they haven't won a trophy since 2011 you know they've had chances in the intervening years since but how many more will the likes of Keith Earls well Keith Earls might not get another one because it sounds like he's going to be retired next season uh, like of Peter O'Mahony Conor Murray you know like this is a huge huge opportunity and I think you know, we've been saying it consistently throughout the season, Will. I think, you know, Munster supporters were very happy to buy into what Graham Roundtree was doing because, you know, a lot of the younger players have been trusted throughout the season. And while, you know, you do have the likes of your O'Mahony and your Earls, he hasn't been afraid to drop them at different stages, Conor Murray, over the course of the season. But the younger guys have really thrived, uh, like Shane Daly, Calvin Nash, Craig Casey, John Hodden, all these kind of guys. Um, so it's a massive opportunity. Look, the... It's their sixth game away in a row, um, but they're unbeaten in their last five. They beat the Stormers, uh, what, just over five weeks ago now in Cape Town. So I think they'll go down there with massive, massive optimism. I mean, they've got a lot of guys back from injury this week, a lot of key guys who you'd imagine come straight back into the team. So whereas a few weeks ago, you would have got seriously long odds on Munster being the, the last Irish province standing, but they've got their on merit. They found their form at just the right time at the end of the season and what an opportunity to go down there. Um, they'll be underdogs for sure. The Stormers are the champions. They're a seriously good team. Um, the Pack are going to need to front up in a massive way, particularly at the scrum, but 
to be fair, like I and I, we, our Luke kind of touching this earlier. No matter what happens on Saturday, I think Munster still need still need a couple of players in key positions, particularly in that front row. I think uh, they've done brilliantly to to get to the final. Like someone like Stephen Archer, like just rolling back the years and fair play to him. Like he played back to back eighty minutes so in South Africa a couple of weeks ago. So this is their third trip to South Africa in quick succession. Like it's remarkable, really. But I think all the wins and the draw that they had on the road over the last few weeks in Dublin again ending Glasgow's record, record home record will really really stand to them like going down there there's talks of 5,000 Munster fans making the trip it just has a real hallmark of a Munster dog underdogs uh, Munster dog underdog uh, sorry, a monster, monster underdog story. I keep a monster dog. Yeah, monster <laughs> dog is good. Yeah, <laughs> monster dog is pretty good. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. T-shirts made. And yeah, so like it's a massive opportunity. Five thousand fans. Five thousand would like, be amazing. It's, it's incredible I, effort. I did think it was disappointing, like not disappointing, but like that, like monster get back to a final, such a good win over Leinster, and it's just like almost impossible to go but seemingly if 5,000 fans and, are going like you've got to tip your hat to that like that is at yeah. such short notice it's not uh, a cheap trip to get yeah I saw there. like packages being quoted for like two and a half grand and, to and go so down like, like, fair play to all these people who are making a trip and you just hope that they get rewarded for it by seeing Munster lift a trophy so look I think Munster are, are ahead of schedule it's year one of Graham Rountree's reign but I don't think internally they will entertain any talk of this being like a free shot or anything like that like this is a massive of opportunity and having beaten the Storms a few weeks ago they're definitely good enough I think to go and do it Yeah Luke I'll give you the last word do you think Munster can win on Saturday? Yeah I do um, I don't think they will I think the Stormers will have just a little bit too much at home and they have a big crowd I just think it might be just a little bit it'll be a step too far I think but I could see them giving a really good showing I think the guys coming back in make a massive difference and um, I feel like they might just come up a little bit short but a, but a, a brilliant showing and I think it'll be a nice end It'll be a tough end for them if they obviously if they lose, but I think it'll be when, you, when they look back in the season and where they started off. I think they can really see some good progress. And I see, like, if they get the win, you know, it'd be unbelievable. It could be that stepping stone to to, to bring them on to good. Like, I, I think of that Leinster team that I was on in two thousand and eight that got that first league win. That was a massive stepping stone for that group. Um, you know, we went on then and, and beat probably two teams that were better than us in 2009 um, to, to, to win, uh, you know, a Heineken Cup, which is obviously what most players in Europe want to, want to win. Um, you know, so I think it could be a stepping stone if they do get the win, but it might be just a step too far. A lot of travel, a lot of miles on the clock at this time of the season. And I just think that the long trip might be just too much for them. But hate to be a dampener. They, they certainly can do it. But they'll need some absolute heroic performances from those guys returning, I think. Um, and maybe something like another special moment from a Healy or a Crowley um, to, to get them over the line. So, fingers crossed. I, I am rooting for them. I know that sounds a bit, might sound disingenuous from a Leinster guy, but honestly, you know, you always want to see an Irish team winning if, uh, if Leinster are out. So, um, rooting for them and uh, wishing them all the best. And, uh, yeah, again, fingers crossed they get the job done. It'd be great. Yeah, well, it's going to be an absolute cracker this Saturday between Munster and the Stormers for the moment. I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me. And a reminder that Rudd and Shane Kassam will have a preview podcast later in the week looking ahead to the URC final. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.